Over 30 years of advice for your house, home, castle, or cabin. Y'all have things you want to get done. It's Rosie on the House. And a beautiful Arizona Saturday morning to you all. Welcome. This is the 10 o'clock hour of Rosie on the House, hour number three. Our open home hour. It's open to anything you, the Arizona homeowners, want to talk about your home, castle, or cabin. Text questions can be sent to 411-923, or you can email info at rosieonthehouse.com. It's Halloween day, a lot of times holiday weekends. Uh, Everyone's preoccupied, so uh, Roger Naylor in a little bit this hour as well. Kind of of a relaxed weekend because, hey, holiday weekends, we're kind of relaxed around the house anyway. And I don't know about you, I have not seen nearly the amount of Halloween decorations than what I seem to be accustomed to. And driving around, I don't know if it's maybe just my pattern or if I'm just not paying that close of attention, but I was thinking... Like, it doesn't even feel like Halloween. Generally, the amount of yard decorations is an indicator. 2020 just been a scary enough year for everyone. They're checking out of Halloween this time. (laughs) Well, I think it is depending on what part of town or what part of the state you're at. Because in my neighborhood, I've seen more Halloween decorations and lights, too, as well going up uh-huh. and they've been up for about two weeks they're all over at gary's neighborhood yeah right? yeah so where all like, the goblins live <laughs> yeah so it looks like i'll be uh packing some candy for <laughs> for tonight but uh and it's going to be a little warmer than normal but uh geez mo- i guess this time of year in arizona halloween's kind of that way anyway weather one of the many reasons people live here and they are not slowing down you've heard us talk and not only us but i'm sure it's it's all over the news just the amount of people moving into the state um, from all over the country. And most people listening to this broadcast probably weren't even originally from Arizona or first generation. So whatever the case may be, this is your happy place Saturday morning. We try to be every Arizona homeowner's best friend by taking uh, and offering advice and direction and ideas on how to properly maintain your home, castle, or cabin. And our ideal goal as homeowners and homeownership, no matter what home we're living in, how long we plan to live in that home, how short of time, uh, whatever the transition period may be, we want to operate and live in a home as if you could put it on the market tomorrow. That's almost impossible to do. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's true. I, I, I've never been able to achieve it. <laughs> it's a lofty goal for most, but yes. But I mean. that, sh- <laughs> that should be your goal and your mindset. And here's why. Because what do you do when you sell a home or even just take it to a party? Let's say you're having some friends over for trick-or-treating tonight. What have you been doing all week? You've been cleaning up. You've been getting ready. You've been preparing. You're getting ready to show the house. You're getting ready to invite company. You want... Things put away nice. Everything's fixed and put away. So a clean home, an organized home, a well-maintained home is a very comfortable and very high quality of life. And that's what we hope that this program helps you uh, strive towards on your day-to-day living. And so many times when we go to help somebody sell a home, we get done with all these improvements that they think they have to do to put it on the market. And they go, gosh, why we should have done this earlier. Man, it's so nice now. And we're moving. And I wish I could stay here now. Oh, if if I'd only known it could have been this nice. And 
Yeah, I, I wonder how many people that uh, say, we're putting this house on the market. So they remodel, they dress it up and everything, and then they take a look at it and go, nope, it's off the market. This <laughs> looks really nice. We should have done this in the first place. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> that's not the case in a lot of times because they're either downsizing because the kids are out. Okay. So even yeah. though it's all fixed up nice, well, they still don't want to maintain that bigger home. They're moving for work. They're moving to a different location through town. Maybe you know it's retirement time and they want to get out of the city and go a little bit more rural. So often when times when they do get done with the improvements for a home, you're not in a position to sit there. But what you've also done is you've just dumped a ton of money into your home that you're probably not going to get back on resale value, that you've got to be very careful how much money you put in uh, just before you go to sell the home. Um, a lot of people and realtors, I'm, I'm not trying to badmouth realtors, but you know they like the flashy things. Flashy things are easier to sell. So a lot of people end up getting pushed into spending money on their home, going up to a sale under the impression that's going to help it go faster. I'm going to get more money. But the first thing a person will do when they move into a new home is often change the color or they'll often change the flooring because it's now their home. They're going to make a lot of changes. So a lot of those changes could have been stuff you just spent money doing. So you may have more material waste that ends up in the landfill now because they're ripping stuff out or they're painting over what you just painted. So there's an extra layer of paint on there that didn't need to be uh, quite as fast. And it's a, it's a fine line. So if we can maintain our home to where we're confident we could put it on the market any given day at the point you are ready to put it on the market, you've got a a better advantage over anyone else on the street that might be trying to sell. A lot less headaches, a lot less decision-making, a lot less bargaining. The home inspector comes out and, oh, your roof is this and your air conditioning's that. And so then you end up bargaining on the price and lowering it so that the new buyer can come in and <laughs> make these repairs. And yeah. it, it becomes this this negotiation and, and price. Uh, price haggling. Price haggling. There you go. <laughs> so, But a well-maintained home, you don't have those. So that, that's the goal. That's where we're trying to get. And at least if it's only in our mind, <laughs> if we can't physically uh, get there for whatever reason, it, it costs more that way. Uh, our the demand for our time is different. Um, I know that's a big part of my day today is I don't have the time to get all this done uh, with all the kids' activities on the weekends. Mm. We do a lot of traveling, uh, on the road a lot for work. So it's it's not always feasible. Feasible. <laughs> yeah. But that is the mindset and the goal. So when you're putting your house on the market, let's say there's the one room that you need to focus on. Which one would that be? Most people will tell you. Breakfast, lunch. Dinner. The kitchen. Yeah. 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 I think the kitchen is the most focal point in the house that, that actually would sell the house. Now, I, I don't know if you'd want to spend a whole bunch of money uh, converting it you know, from, from the 1950s look to the 2000 look, depending on the value of the house. But uh, the kitchen, I believe, is the, I think Rosie had mentioned that too. The kitchen's the number one room, the number one remodel part of the house that uh, look to do. It's the most used. It gets the most wear. It has the most, the most of everything. Because in a kitchen, the only thing you don't have is a toilet. <laughs> 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 or, or maybe your 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 uh, washing machine as well. Yeah, it's a morning show. I, I, got, I was going. I got to get it out of my mind. But but no, you're right. And cabinets, it, yeah, sinks, faucets, ovens. <laughs> uh, you know, 
But but you know, it, it's really that room that everybody congregates. If you think about it, you know, mom, dad, the kids, they have breakfast at the dining table. That's usually either part of the kitchen or right next to it. So yeah, the kitchen is the focal point. That's the one thing that people look at when they're looking for a new home. I know my former neighbors that I hated losing because they were so much fun. Uh, one day, uh, their little boy said, we're moving, Mr. Gary. And I go, oh, really? And they gave me this look of, oh, you weren't supposed to know that. We were going to tell you anyway. But the simple reason they moved was she and her sisters, when they got in the kitchen, it was so small they couldn't fit. <laughs> they, couldn't, they couldn't get together, congregate, fit, and then cook and all this other stuff. So they just needed a larger house with a bigger kitchen. It was simple as that. Uh, home ownership, you got to love it, and especially when people come over and spill stuff. You know, we've got a lot of trick or treaters going on tonight, possibly. And uh, Mohawk Flooring published a blog on seven things that commonly land on floors and what to do about them, including spaghetti sauce, glitter, uh, potty accidents, glue, nail polish, paint, and then this one, slime. Do you know what slime is? Slime? Slime. It's a. Hmm. Kids make it. It's out of glue and food coloring and oh yeah. And there was a phase my kids were playing with it all the time. Well, they've got a uh, direction on how to get that out of carpet, and it's a mixture of a it's a quarter teaspoon of clear hand dishwashing detergent per one cup of water will help break that down. So we'll post that on our radio archive page. You may just be in a situation tight where you end up with. Uh, yeah, yeah, that with with actually, the need to reference that. <laughs> my uh, nieces and nephews, when they were kids, they were playing with slime. It just so happened to be around Halloween. Just got that nice little squishy, creepy kind of thing that you can... Oh, pretend you know, it's well. goblin snot or whatever. Yeah, or <laughs> <A> rock snot. <laughs> rock snot. <laughs> Let you find along the CAP canals. That's funny. <laughs> so I, I, I'm going to have to talk to Robert Steve about this editor for Arizona Highways because I remember him telling when they did an article on sandwich shops that they got hounded from a few people aggravated because it wasn't the typical Arizona Highways travel. Right, They right. wanted to see more pictures mm-hmm. of the landscapes and not the sandwich shops. And it was still only a few pages of the magazine. It wasn't even a tenth of the content. Exactly, of it. But yeah. Over, I'm going to say half the content of this month's Arizona Highways magazine is all dedicated to Frank Lloyd Wright. There's multiple different articles, um, some question and answer with the new owners of the Dave and Gladys Wright house off of Camelback. Apparently, the new owners, a couple of them were architects at Talianus and West. Oh, wow. And they do plan to restore and put a copper roof on that building, which was part of Frank Lloyd Wright's original design, which surprises me. And and I don't know, maybe copper was just a lot cheaper back there, because one thing that always impressed me about Frank Lloyd Wright, you know, when I build something, I very rarely find a way to do it cheap. I always want the best products, the best tools, the best material. I get done, I want it to be done for life. Well, Frank Lloyd Wright, uh, his buildings, a lot of them still standing because it was masonry focused, but he also was one that could tie it in affordably. And that's something that has, has always impressed me about him is we've got these timeless buildings and you think, you know, these were, you know, mega bucks to build, but that was part of of his gift is that he could come up with these incredible designs, these incredible structures, and not break the bank doing it. And I'm wondering if that's why the copper roof never originally ended up on the Dave and Gladys that, that Wright house. Makes perfect sense. He was fitting mm-hmm. in the budget 
And they also had 10 things you might not know about Frank Lloyd Wright. His second oldest son, Mm -hmm. John, was the inventor of Lincoln Logs. You're kidding. (laughs) Wow. Granddaughters was an actress uh, that was an Oscar Best Actress nomination. So it was great to – if you don't have it, it's on stands now. It's November's issue of Arizona Highways Magazine. It's that time of the show where we here at Rosie on the House take a look inside the internet machine and our phone messaging machine to see what it is you, the Arizona homeowners, are spending the most amount of time and effort to try and get answers to from us this past week. And we're always surprised what that topic might be. But the most asked question at Rosie on the House was, what strategies are the proper strategies to use in attic ventilation. Oh boy, I could go a long time on this one, y'all. And I know for those of you that live in a home with an attic, you've probably stuck your head up there in the middle of the summer by accident or looking for something, and you come to the realization this attic in July and August can be 140 plus degrees. Some attics even get hotter than that. So intuitively, you jump to the conclusion, how can I cool this attic off? It must be costing me a fortune in my air conditioning bill to try and keep the inside of the house cool with this hot radiator sitting right on top of my ceiling. Well, folks, I can tell you, there are several utility companies in Arizona that have all come to exactly the same conclusion that the hot attics and the heat that that transfers into your house only accounts for about 10% of your air conditioning load in the middle of the summer. I know you may find that hard to believe, but it's the absolute truth. That hot attic isn't hardly costing you anything. So why on earth would you spend hundreds or thousands of dollars with custom products or paints or tactics to throw up there for the sake of saving money. You may come to the realization, oh, my attic is cooler now, but I promise you, you won't be saving money. One of the most common questions I'm asked is, how about ventilating that attic? Surely, if I suck that hot air out, it's going to help. Well, If you have a properly engineered ventilation system, once you turn that exhaust fan on to evacuate the hot air from the attic, the law of physics is going to make that attic space look for other air to make up what air you're sucking out. Invariably, um, virtually every time, y'all, When you turn that fan on, it's sucking the air-conditioned air out of the inside of your home through the kitchen exhaust hood, through the bathroom exhaust fans, through the junction boxes in the middle of the bedrooms where the ceiling fan is mounted, around the recessed cans. Every hole inside your ceiling now becomes a little vacuum that is vacuuming the air 
you already spent money to cool off and sucking it up in the attic. Okay, so your attic may be 10 or 15 degrees cooler, but it's not because you're ventilating it. It's because now you're air conditioning it. That isn't going to reduce your air conditioning load. That's going to increase your air conditioning load. I can't tell you the number of houses I've been to where folks who come from the Midwest and they're accustomed to these whole house exhaust fans and whole house ventilation fans bring that technology and that experience with what they've had back in the Midwest and bring it out here. They install it. They turn that fan on. And at the end of the first month or the second month, they 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 throw in the towel and they say something's got to be wrong. My I'm ventilating my attic and my air conditioning bill's gone up fifty percent. Well, now you know why. You're creating negative pressure in the attic that must be made up from somewhere. Now, in a properly engineered system, that air is going to be made up from the outside, but it's always going to draw from wherever is the easiest to draw from. So I would tell you, generally, when people ask me about ventilating their attic, they're wanting to reduce their air conditioning load in the summer. I would tell you that isn't the place to start. If you want to increase your comfort and save money on your power bill, the first place you're going to want to start is shade. Shade your outside walls, especially any place you've got doors and windows, and knock the direct sunlight off of your house as much as possible. That will cool the outside temperature of your house about 15 to 20 degrees. Your windows are your biggest load on your air conditioning system. And if you can shade them with landscaping or sunscreens, you are going to be seeing a return on investment. So, when I'm asked about attic ventilation, I always try and get to the real heart of the problem. What are you, why are you really asking me that question? And if it's to reduce your air conditioning load, increase your comfort, and drive down your utility bill, don't waste money in the attic. You make sure you've got an R30 or an R38 on top of your ceiling installed correctly. That's much more important than ventilating or throwing up any of those other gimmicks or toys that you may see at the home show that I wouldn't tell you you should spend a dime on. And welcome back. Thank you for tuning in to Rosie on the House. Celebrating Halloween, it's uh, always appropriate to do something scary, but I'd like to bring in one of the scariest people I know. Uh <laughs> He's one of my favorite people, Roger Naylor, hiker extraordinaire and author, knows Arizona probably better than I do, has written plenty of books about enjoying Arizona, and you've got a couple great ones. Roger, thanks a billion for taking time to join us. It's always a pleasure to chat with you, and, and, and I miss, uh, uh, you know, I'm not getting too often enough. This has been such a strange year that, uh, you know, it seems like it's easy to lose touch with, with old friends, and, and uh, that's a, a bad thing to do. I always like to, uh, to hear from you and, and, and chat with you guys, so it's uh, my pleasure. Well, it was about a month ago I saw that your book for Arizona State Parks uh, won 
the 2020 New Mexico Arizona Book Award for Travel. Congratulations for that. Well, thank you. That was yeah, that was a very nice surprise. That uh, you know they normally have a banquet and everything, but they didn't do this this year where they hand out the awards and stuff. But they just sent us a little notice in the mail, so I was uh, very honored uh, uh, to do that to receive that the best travel book in Arizona. I, I thought that was, uh, it, it really meant something to me, especially for that book for Arizona State Parks, because it was sort of an unusual uh, travel book, and there's so many great travel books out there, but I really wanted uh, to kind of uh, focus uh, attention on these little hidden gems that we have around the state, that, and I tried to capture the uh, uh, the scenery, the history, the geology, uh, the seasons of of. Arizona, all contained within those, uh, you know, nearly three dozen state parks that we have dotting the um, uh, the landscape around us, and, and uh, I think uh, it turned, especially this year, they've turned out to be so important to so many of us oh. where we can't travel as much as we can. It's nice to have those oh. nearby parks, those little local parks that we can get away to. Amen. Speaking with Roger Naylor. Arizona hiker and author extraordinaire about his book, Arizona State Parks, that just won the 2020 New Mexico Arizona Book Award for Travel. It's a book where Roger actually visits every state park in Arizona and puts together a little template at each chapter of what you can find in and about the immediate area. Roger, share two of your favorite state parks. I know it's tough, but Two, just two. <laughs> well, uh, Dead Horse Ranch State Park is always my favorite because it's my local park. In fact, I was hiking there this morning. I'm hiking there just about every day uh, that I'm in town. So that's always my favorite in the Cottonwood area. And I include, like you said, uh, not just the information about the park, you know, the stretch of Verde River that flows through it, the beautiful lagoons for uh, for fishing or boating or uh, just walking around the limestone hills that, uh, with the great views of the Sedona Red Rocks off in the distance and the Mingus Mountain on the other side, uh, all the, the 20 plus miles of trails, the camping cabins, the campground itself, all that stuff. That, but uh, if you're coming up to visit me, I want you to know about all the other cool stuff around. So I include uh, the attractions like uh, Old Town Cottonwood, the Verde Valley Wine Trail, the Verde Canyon Railroad, the Clemenceau Museum, Tuzigoot National Monument, all that's within about two miles of uh, Dead Horse Ranch State Park. So you're, that's the thing about the state parks is they're so connected to the community, and I want you to explore that community a little bit and support some of those businesses, see some of those sites while you're in that area. So Dead Horse Ranch is always my favorite, uh, but a Good couple one. of other ones, you know, that that I really, really love, or uh, uh, one of them that uh, kind of that I have just come to love in more recent years is uh, Cattail Cove, okay, uh, out on the uh, the west coast of Arizona, because it's just this perfect combination of uh, white sandy beaches with some palm trees, and you can just relax on the beach, you can swim, you can boat. And yet, then they've got like a great little system of hiking trails off into the desert. There it takes you. There's one that takes you kind of through a little mini slot canyon, and you climb up on these barren desert hills, and it looks like you're kind of in the middle of nowhere. And then you pop out, and here's Lake Havasu, sparkling <laughs> below you and stuff. It's just this wonderful Arizona experience stuff. So I've really uh, come to enjoy and appreciate uh, the West Coast parks 
a, a lot, especially this time of year because it's such a great time. You know, the weather's still just beautiful oh. there. It's not it's not scorching, but all the summer boaters have gone home. The snowbirds haven't arrived yet, and the parks are just they're nice and kind of quiet. It's just great for hiking, camping, um, whatever you want to do. So that's another one that, that I really love. Uh, everybody needs to tour Karchner Caverns down yes. in the southeastern corner of the state. It's just a spectacular site. And they've got some great camping cabins there, too. So you can go spend the night uh, down around Benson there. And the, the cabins uh, take both tours uh, through the caves, if you'd, if you'd like. Um, do some hiking on, on those trails. So those are uh, a couple of uh, uh, parks that you don't want to miss. But there's so many you know, great ones. Uh, each of them have something to offer. I think the camping cabins they started erecting in the state parks about eight or nine or ten years ago is just absolutely genius. It really is because, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, like I used to love to camp, and now that I'm an old guy, uh, you know, I don't like sleeping on the ground so much. So it's nice to just be able to roll in. All I need is my sleeping bag, and they've got you. You get a, a cabin. They've got the beds. They've got the electricity. Uh, they've got the, the lights, the heat, the air conditioning. All you need is the linens. I just bring my sleeping bag, stretch out on the uh, on one of the little beds, and um, comfortable as can be. You've got a little porch there, each of the cabins. It's just great. It's just really comfortable. Perfect for families because just it about is. all the cabins have a, a queen bed, a couple twin beds. So it, I, I just thought it was absolutely genius when they started putting those up. We're we're talking with Roger Naylor about his book, Arizona State Parks, A Guide to Amazing Places in the Grand Canyon State. You just heard Roger talk about three of the state parks, three of uh, 20, right? Well, there's uh, actually 29 state parks, 29. three uh, uh, state natural areas, so 32 total. It's a great book, folks. It makes a well, great it, it makes a great Arizona bucket list. Get it? And uh, just start checking them off as you hit each one of them. But that's not the only book he's got. How about Boots and Burgers? That's that's one of my that <laughs> that one's always my personal favorite. Uh, <laughs> what else? What else do you need? Boots and Burgers, an Arizona guide for uh, hungry hikers. Uh, it's just you get out and you you hike for a few miles, and then you go grab a nearby juicy burger, a little diner. That's the best day there is, as far as I'm concerned. So but, that's always one of my. Uh, it's always my favorite book, and I, I think it's a great guide uh, to around the state because, again, the the, part, the hiking trails, places deep, they cover the entire state, and I give you a lot of information about, again, some of the communities and towns with that one. I, I love that book, and I have used yeah. it as my personal bucket list, and that's how we found Jennifer's favorite restaurant in all of Arizona, up in Flag- which, which one's that? Up in Flagstaff is Satchmo's. Oh, that's a great place. Man, I love eating there. Oh, man, that that's good barbecue right there, partner. I'll tell you that, man. No kidding. Bar- great barbecue and great Cajun food. What, a, what right. a great combination that is. That is. That is. I, I don't know why there's not a Satchmo's in every town. So it's Boots and Burgers. It's Arizona State yeah. Parks. A brand new book, Arizona Scenic Roads and Hikes. Brand new, hot off the press. Is the ink even dry? It barely. It just came out uh, on October 15th was the official release date. Uh, it's also out from the University of New Mexico Press, so we'll see if, uh, um, uh, if this can take an award next year or something. But this one is a great one. Uh, it, it, it's uh, Unforgettable Journeys in the Grand Canyon State. Uh, I feature all 27 
of Arizona state-designated scenic and historic roads, including five national scenic byways. There he goes, sharing all yeah, my the, secret spots. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I'm sorry. There he the goes again. <laughs> the drives are arranged by region and include starting and ending points, mileage photos, full descriptions, and suggestions on locally owned places to eat and sleep. I always want to make sure you're fed. <laughs> That's right. Uh, That's right. <laughs> when you're well, out on one of these adventures. And again, this I think this one is sort of the book that we've been craving. It's coming at a time when, you know, a lot of us have been cooped up or not get, able to get out as much as we'd like and uh, still maybe not feeling safe enough to travel far. But what's better and, and safer than uh, just taking a local uh, scenic drive? Ab- and, uh, then, and then you can hike a couple of trails, nice lonely trails while you're at it. If Ab- you want to pack your food, if you want to camp, you don't have to encounter anybody. Absolutely. And a a good friend of mine is actually serving as the manager of Tonto and Prescott National Forest just currently right now. Oh. uh And and he was saying, Rosie, the forest has never seen the user activity that we've seen the last three or four months. And I would just, and I know you're with me on this, Roger, I would just encourage people with that much increased use, use your head. It breaks my heart to go to some of these places and see folks that aren't accustomed to camping or picnicking not leaving the area as clean as they found it. Drives me absolutely nuts. You ran up an article on the five best fall hikes in Arizona. I think fall is uh, the perfect time to be hiking in Arizona because there's just no place, no corner of the state that's not off limits yet. It's still too early for the snow. The temperatures have cooled down in the desert. You you can go just about anywhere, and it's uh, great, and that's what I wanted to do with that uh, story, show you some hikes uh, in all corners of the state, from uh, the Cochise Stronghold down in the Dragoon Mountains up to hiking in the Joshua Tree Forest around Dolan Springs, a nice little red rock hike in Sedona that a lot of people don't know about, and some others are a, a beautiful one around Watson Lake in Prescott that's uh, perfect any time of year, but it's especially beautiful in fall. So that's what I wanted to do with uh, that story, just encourage people to, get again, get out when you can safely and uh, explore this beautiful state. Roger, we've talked about just a, a few of your books and the article that uh, you write for the Arizona Republic. I know we've piqued the interest of a lot of people and they want to, who is this Roger Nader? How can I get a hold of his books? How can I put a GPS on him? How can I, find, <laughs> how can I find out more about Roger? How would we do that, Roger? Well, you just go to my website, rogernaylor.com. You can order my books from there and every book I send out is the signed book. I sign each copy that goes out. And uh, that's also where you can connect with my uh, Facebook page, Twitter page, and uh, both of those are just uh, Arizona travel pages. There's no politics, no religion, no anything. It's just all about the beauty of Arizona, where I'm hiking, where I'm eating, uh, some of the places to explore, posting my articles, uh, letting you know when I'm doing a Zoom talk about my new book, Arizona Scenic Roads and Hikes, or any of that stuff. But uh, just go to rogernaylor.com and you can kind of keep tabs on me. Roger Naylor, helping us here at Rosie on the House spread the big word, the good word, about the great state of Arizona. And as we wrap up our final broadcast for October through the end of the day, 
The Danik hook will be our e-store item of the month. We always picture a different item from our e-store that we have tested and found useful and applicable to Arizona homeownership, but it's the Danik hook. Very interesting three-way attachment for uh, boating, camping, securing uh, cargo loads, coming back from the hardware store, a lot of applications in construction for tying a line. So it's a it's a nice, easy way to secure a line without having to tie a knot and easy release. So that's at the Rosie on the House e-store. And if you're a regular subscriber of our email newsletter, you can go to rosieonthehouse.com and ask for a subscription. Uh, we'll never give your name to anybody, but we'll send you an email every Thursday and just kind of give you a heads up of the things we're going to talk about this coming Saturday. Let's get to Chris. Welcome to the program. Hey, how's it going, guys? I want to put on a new roof, and I'm debating on what company to call. One person came out. My house is 1,650 square feet, and he told me I have 3,500 square feet of roof, which I find hard to believe. Just a three-car garage and maybe a 10 by 20 patio. That's it. Well, 1,650 a livable. Is it a flat roof or a pitched roof? It's a pitched roof and a three-car garage. Okay, so 1650 with a pitch roof is going to take your surface area of roof up to about 2,000 square feet. It's going to add about 30%. So you're at 2,000 square feet roughly on the pitch. And a three-car garage is going to be another 600 square foot. Takes you up to about 35. Uh, I'm sorry, 1600 takes you up to about 2,600. And then that patio uh, is going to be another couple hundred. Not even knowing where you live, not seeing your house. If you're 1,650 square feet with a three-car garage and a back patio, you're probably going to be close to that in square footage. Very good. Uh, Could you recommend somebody? And then I have a quick question. I had a hot water heater put in a year ago, and every time I turn it on to let the water warm up, I get like a rotten egg smell in there. Hmm. Hmm. It's I was going to say the anode rods yeah. probably disintegrated. But. Every tank-style water heater has a magnesium rod down the middle of it, but it generally lasts several years. Once that's gone, we replace that, and generally that smell goes away. But, Chris, as far as finding a roofer, wherever you are in Arizona, all you need to do is go to rosieonthehouse.com, type in your zip code, say you want a roofer, and our website will automatically give you roofers that are closest to you. And anytime you're wanting to do anything around your house, home, castle, or cabin, you always start at rosieonthehouse.com. Good morning, Jim. To you too, guys, and uh, to your whole team. Really appreciate everything you guys do for us. Where my patio door frame connects to or meets up with the tile in our, in our living room, there's a, there's a line of grout that was put in by the builder to separate the two and hold the tile in place. Well, I think because the two dissimilar materials, being the aluminum and the tile and the grout, uh, react differently to changes in temperature and humidity, my grout line in that area keeps cracking and breaking apart. So my question is, what's the best material to put in that joint to reduce or eliminate the cracking? I'll tell you one of the tricks we use when we're going up against an aluminum threshold is we take a a bicycle inner tube and cut it into strips and mastic apply it to the backside of the aluminum threshold. And then we grout up to that and it allows a small little expansion cushion between the aluminum and the grout. 
and then we then let the grout cure, come back and slice a small V in it at the top, and then we apply yeah, a sanded, sanded caulk in the color of the grout. And that is about the most reliable way you can stop that crack from reappearing because you are exactly right. The two materials are not thermally stable, dimensionally stable. So give them a little cushion between the two and it'll eliminate a lot of that and help you a whole bunch. And we have Ken. Hello. Yes, sir. I've always wondered if gas water heaters produce more calcium and buildup in the bottom of the tank than electric. Possibly. There are what are called self-cleaning or self-flushing water heaters. A electric water heater has elements that are stuck into the side. Some have multiple places, top and bottom. That's what's heating the water. A gas one has a pilot light at the bottom. So if you do have a water heater that's not flushing or self-cleaning, as that sediment piles up on the bottom and the heating element heats it up, you do see that thickness start to, to kind of bake onto the bottom, making the gas water heater less efficient. But the self-cleaning flushing ones, the water intake into the water heater, they push it all the way down to the bottom and have a bin and it turns around. So every time the water comes in, it creates a whirlpool type motion that kicks all the sediment up and keeps it from getting baked onto the bottom. So you just want to make sure you get a self-cleaning or flushing water heater. And then of course, if you have a treatment system before the water is introduced to the water heater, you can eliminate that hardness and that mineral buildup.